Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome. Uh, you're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Um, my name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will sh- be sharing their journey of recovery from compulsive gambling. Uh, I'd like to welcome Ian and, Ian and Simon to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. 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 G'day. How's it going? Good. So they're members of Gamblers Anonymous, and they're going to share their experience of compulsive gambling and how Gamblers Anonymous has helped them. Uh, and we usually start by talking about growing up and when you first came in contact with gambling. So what was your family situation and, and how did gambling arise? Well, uh, Bill, thanks for uh, inviting me. Um, I was of a family of nine and we lived in the country and uh, I was influenced by my grandfather who was a compulsive gambler and uh, I had a hero worship of him and I followed him around with his gambling and... Um, he influenced my life, but it wasn't the reason I gambled, I don't think, but he did influence me. Right. So um, so where did you grow up? What sort of things? Uh, on a dairy farm, soldier settlement farm in Gippsland, and uh, there was nine children, and we did it pretty tough. We, um, But uh, we moved, after that, um, my father was an al- alcoholic, and after that we moved quite a bit to different dairy farms but uh by the time i was 16 i was uh started gambling yes okay so what sort of gambling was available at that point uh different to today different to today it's um it was more about uh horses and tab and racetracks for me um and also uh, greyhounds and trotting tracks yeah yeah i'm sure there's plenty of those in the country heaps of them <laughs> Okay, um, so with your first bet, what what was it like? Did you, I assume it was a win? Uh, no, it wasn't a win. Yeah. Um, but it was. I got my first pay packet packet, and from my first pay packet, I gambled, and I continued every every payday to gamble on that day and during the weekend, and um, it. I got a big buzz out of it big buzz out of it and um, I just wanted to gamble more. So how did it make you feel? Uh, excited, very excited and uh, I often um, shook after, uh, shook and shook, my hands and arms would shake after gambling, especially if I had a big win. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, so what about the rest of your family, your brothers and sisters, were they gamblers as well? No, um, uh, they had a, they had addic- Some of them had addiction problems, um, and one of them's got a gambling problem. But uh, no, not really. There was they um, they did have addiction problems. We moved around a lot with the farms. Okay, um, so what? Given that your grandfather was a gambler, what what did your mum think about you taking it up? Um. Later on, when it became a serious problem, and it did become a really serious problem, she was extremely concerned. But uh, we, big families moving around a lot, I became isolated. 
and um, isolation was one of the big things with me. I isolated myself from the family and uh, they had no idea of of um, how bad it had got as the years went on. They had no idea. Okay. So you were able to hide it. It must have been an issue with getting money. So how did you fund your gambling? Uh I worked extra extra jobs. I worked. Uh, I was a huge worker, and I worked extra jobs. And I also worked um, uh, lots of overtime. And then eventually, I started to steal. Okay. Um, so you gambled on anything? Was that? Yes, everything, right. everything, everything. And uh, and as the years went on, it uh, I owned race horses and greyhounds and. Um, then I started to uh, get involved in casinos and as I moved around in different places in Australia. Okay. Um, okay, over to you, Simon. So what was, what was life like for you in those early days growing up? Yeah, sure. Um, I was always warned as a child not to gamble. On my mother's side of the family, my grandfather and both uncles uh, were compulsive gamblers. Uh, they both stole to gamble and they all wound up in prison due to gambling so gambling did ruin my mother's life from a young age so I was always warned not to gamble so I never did um all through my early years through to my teen years I didn't gamble uh until I picked up until I went to a TAB with some older guys from school uh when I was 17 and you, meant, you asked Ian before if he won the first time he gambled. I definitely did have a win. I could tell you what number the horse was, how much it won by, and Ian talked about that adrenaline, the adrenaline I felt. Um, with that first win, I could probably say I was hooked um, ever since then. Right, okay. So as a 16-year-old, it must have been pretty hard to finance a gambling addiction at that age yeah absolutely um look i did mention that uh my uncles and grandparents um, and grandfather did steal to gamble uh, and for me um with gambling comes stealing so i reckon probably the first time i ran out of money i would have helped myself to mum's purse just to pinch a few coins uh, dad always kept plenty of cash in his pockets uh, and i'd help myself to that and um yeah, like my uncles and grandparents, for some reason, when I gamble, I steal. So that that, that became a part of my uh, gambling story for the next 10 years. Yeah. So what were you like at school? Were you a good student? Uh, look, I always, looking back, I, I wasn't a great student, but I've always struggled with ego and adrenaline. Um, and, you know, once I, which ended up with the buzz of gambling, uh, I was able to numb everything else uh, through the punt and having a punt. Right. So did did any of your friends gamble? Uh, look, I at high school, it wasn't much gambling. It was basically around the time of going to university. So our first uh, spring out of school, we spent, all my friends spent every weekend at the pub. We'd watch the races, were a part of the spring carnival. Uh, we had plenty of fun Um had a punt, but by the time uni came around the following year, everyone kind of broke off and went to school. I kept gambling uh, and isolating, so uh, I could not stop, and yeah. it's something that I did by myself, and no one in my world really had an idea of um, the extent 
of my gambling at that stage. Yeah. So did your mum know? Yeah, look, my mum knew about it in the early days. Um, my gambling did spiral out of control at the age of 19 or 20. One day my mother packed up her bags and took off overseas, switched off her phone, uh, which was a really traumatic uh, time in my life and myself and my younger sister. And at that that's the stage of my life where my gambling really did spiral out of control. Right. Um, all that pain, which I should have felt, I just buried in a TAB. Okay, right. Um, so, did you finish uni? No, I've never no. I've never completed any um, course. I've probably started six or seven different degrees and TAFE courses, but uh, due to gambling, um, I was never present. So um, yeah. it's it's <clears throat> always been working and going, building myself up. Uh, through various jobs. Right, okay. Uh, back to you, Ian. Um, so starting off as a 16-year-old, going out into the world, earning money, gambling it away, it must have been a pretty difficult life. Uh, Bill, I don't think... I never thought it was difficult. I never thought it was difficult. I I just took it as part of my life and um, I just had that urge to gamble and... Um, I would go to another town through work and um, the first thing I would look for is the TAB, right. where the TAB was situated. Um, so it was part of my um, DNA to to just always gamble and always be involved with the people that were gambling. I I got involved with, with race horse owners and trainers and... And people like that, so it was part of my life on a on a daily basis. So, what's it like not to have money? You know, gambling. You know, most pe- most uh, addicted gamblers don't have a lot of money. But um, so, I've heard people talk about you know losing it all and coming back with nothing and having to you know, not have enough sort of for the bus fare home, that sort of thing. So what's that feeling like when you've lost it all at that age? Uh, it was disastrous, disastrous. Um, and the feeling of, of uh, my biggest feeling about that was uh, about feeling worthless as a person, worthless. Yeah. That would be a word I would use. Uh, uh, and, but it would only be until I could get money again to gamble. Yeah. Um, that that feeling would only last as long as I didn't have money. Right. And did it matter how much money you had? No. No? No. $10 or $1,000, it didn't matter, you'd just gamble it? Yeah, whatever yeah. I had, I gambled. Right, okay. Um, so, obviously, in, in your 20s then, um, you know, moving around, jobs, money, gambling, did you have any close friends Lots of acquaintances. Okay. Lots of acquaintances, gambling acquaintances and sporting acquaintances. One one true friend and his family, and but I drifted away from them as my gambling got worse. Yeah, and that's uh, one of the things about the program is that I've reunited um, that friendship in the last 20 years. Right, okay. Um, and so the more money you got... Did that mean that you gambled more? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, I when I got, when I started earning a lot more money, 
I just gambled more. Mm. Right. Uh, did you have much success gambling? Was you know, do gamblers think about the success, or do they just think about the gambling? You know, the the event. When I was actually gambling, I would talk about me wins, but never about me losses. Right. <laughs> so, what about you, Simon? Same. Oh, look, for me, it was all about the chase. Yep. I um, okay. You know, when I was twenty-one, I had my largest ever win. Um, until I got much older, and for the next five or six years, I was always chasing that win, um, and um, you know that was my excuse anyway. I, you know, when I put my head on the pillow and I'd want to quit gambling, I'd think about that win and say, "Look, I've just got to get X amount of money back, and I'll be back, and I'll quit, and I'll pay everyone back, and you know, live the dream, and I'll be a wonderful person." Um, right. And so on and so on. <laughs> okay. Um, so, but what sort of uh, lengths did your gambling take you to in getting money? So what are the sorts of things you did to get money to gamble? Sure. Um, look, I, um, I, initially, I, I initially started by taking coins from mum's purse, um, emptying dad's pockets, helping myself to jewellery that was laying around the house, pawning that, um, selling drugs, um, lots of different loans, um, you know, your cash converter kind of loans and and that sort of thing. Um, my grandmother loved me more than anyone in the world, my late grandmother, and my father um, used to trust me to give her 500 bucks a month. Um, he'd give it to me to hand to her. It wasn't even his mother, and I, I would always help myself to it, you know, and I remember doing her eulogy at her funeral, I was probably 23, and everyone told me how how much she loved me, and I just felt so worthless standing up there reading her eulogy, saying, "If only you people knew that I was robbing this lady that couldn't afford, you know, milk, smokes, and and bread most of the time." Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so the other thing um, I think is that if you, if you stole jewellery, you didn't really get much for it if you pawned it, did you? No, no. not at all. Um, no. no, we had a safe at home. And, um, you know, I hate to think about what the value of some of that jewellery was and I was lucky to get a couple hundred bucks for it, but I was so desperate. Yeah. Um, it didn't matter. And, you know, one time when I was 19 years old, I... I had been helping myself to some jewellery and, of course, my grandfather, who started the whole gambling rot in our family, he was caught near that safe one day and he was subsequently blamed for everything that was missing and thrown out of our house and he did live with us at the time and and he was blamed and I let him take the, the rap for what I had done and I just thought, you beauty, I, I'm in the clear and that's how my mind operated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that um, that we lose in in most um, addictions is we lose honesty, and we become very good at lying. So, um, and what about you? Were you a good liar? I was a professional liar, yeah. and um, I was also a professional con man in the way that I would get money out of people by telling a lot of. Um, lies and fibs and I would stretch the truth I would always stretch the truth and um, I was good at uh, making people feel sorry for me 
Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good comment skill. <laughs> uh, um, so what about relationships with you? I uh, didn't have many relationships, and the relationships that I did have um, were ruined because of my gambling. Um, I, when I when I stopped gambling at forty eight, I would say that I probably only had one or two meaningful relationships that lasted small amounts of time, and uh, I had nothing to show for my life. So there was no way people would be interested in me. Right. Okay. Um, so did. Did you have any other issues apart from gambling? I had a um, binge alcoholic problem and um, drinking problem and uh, that went with the gambling, so that didn't help. That, no. that, that didn't help the gambling and it didn't help my life. And um, I was always in positions of danger a lot through putting myself in danger, walking through parks late at night and things like that. I yeah. placed myself in danger for many, many years. I look back and and think, how did I survive that? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's interesting, isn't it, looking back and wondering. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, listen, we might take a break. Uh, you're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, podcasts of our show are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and they're also available on iTunes. We usually try and put them up on Fridays so look out for it. Uh, if you've got a question or a comment about the show then you can call the station on 94198377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com or we're on Facebook at 3crlivingfree and also on Twitter at 3crlivingfree. Um, usually we do a CSA, Community Service Announcement at this point so I'll hit you with one about the Lost in Science Trivia Night on Monday the 13th of August. Hey, what are you doing for National Science Week this year, Stu? Well, one thing I was going to do was go to the Lost in Science Trivia at the Birmingham on Monday the 13th of August. What time is that on again? It starts at 7.30, but get there at 6.30 so you get a good night of trivia and fun. See our Facebook page for more information. Okay, we're back. Um, so I'm talking to um, Ian and Simon uh, about gambling addiction. Uh, they're both members of Gamblers Anonymous and they're sharing their story of recovery. Um, so I'll go back to you, uh, Simon. Um, so what sort of work were you doing when you didn't finish uni? Well, funnily enough, I, uh, I, I just turned 18 and I was looking for a job and I loved the punt so much I got a job at a TAB. Well, yeah, so, and, and they were just so happy with me at this particular pub, uh, which had a pub tab uh, attached to it, um, that they kept giving me shifts and everyone would would um, give me extra shifts. And I was literally working seven days a week, uh, which made management very happy. Um, but, you know, on a personal note, all I was doing uh, is what's forbidden, and that's gambling uh, on the job. So I wasn't right. doing very much work. Yeah. I was punting more than any of the guys actually at the TAB as customers. Right. So how did that pan out? Look, um, not very well. Um, a year and a half in, I finally um, racked up a figure that I couldn't balance at the end of the day. Um, 
So for the first time, but not for the very last, I decided to cook the books uh, and I was caught for that and subsequently fired. Um, my father was friends with the owner of the hotel and as a result, it was swept under the carpet um, and I wasn't punished. And, you know, that was my first of many detrimental bailouts um, in my gambling career story. So how did they catch you? So I was in a venue on a Sunday night, which had no customers uh, generally. Um, and at head office for the TAB, they could see on this particular night, this venue was racking up uh, thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of bets. So uh, uh, the, the next day, someone from uh, head office came down to the pub, asked to see the footage to, to um, investigate this irregular betting. And there I was all alone in the pub <laughs> running around like a chug without a head, um, placing bets and panicking. Right. Okay. Not a good look. Definitely not. Um, so to, to finance your gambling, what other things were you doing? Uh, look, I did mention a bit earlier um, I was stealing, cooking books, uh, a lot of lying. Um, you know, you mentioned, you talked about it with Ian before. Uh, because I gamble and stole at the same time, lying became second nature to me and it's something I've had to unlearn um, since stopping gambling Um, and you know um, yeah it's something that I still work on a day at a time as they talk about in the fellowships trying to treat money normally and um, and be honest about everything I do right okay so back to you then Ian um so you own some racehorses. You were earning pretty good money as a construction worker. So how how did what went wrong? Uh, Bill, what went wrong was that I continued to gamble beyond my means, um, completely beyond my means, and the racehorse owning ownership was just a a huge thing for me to be the big hero. Um, I was the big hero racehorse owner in uh, in um, country Queensland and uh, I used to strut around and think I was think I was a big person um, but I couldn't finance I couldn't finance my gambling so the obvious thing was that, that happened to me was similar to Simon that I started to uh, cook the books and steal and um, in the job that I was doing, and eventually that came to an end. And uh, I was just removed from the town and came back to Victoria. So did they charge you? They originally charged me, but they didn't want to go through with it. So they the charges were dropped, and I, I responded by... Uh, going out and gambling for another six years like a maniac. And um, and in the program we talk about it getting worse. Well, it got terribly bad for me. In the last ten years, it was just a nightmare. And I, I basically became a hermit. I, I came to Melbourne and I was working in a job where I was uh, in the factory hand in a job that I'd... I'd got so low that I was doing a job like that and um, and I was just gambling and uh, getting as much overtime as I could so I could gamble, more I could gamble and um, 
yeah, it just kept going on and on, and it does. It does keep going on and on. And um, for me, it was uh, every day was a nightmare. I um, I had other problems with finance too. That wasn't that wasn't the only problem. And I I was continually looking over my shoulder. Yeah. Okay. So, what about housing? Is it difficult to get good housing when you're gambling? Well, I lived in a. <laughs> I lived in a. I didn't live in a house for twenty years. Right. And um, I lived in construction camps. And then when I came back to Melbourne, I lived in a bungalow, which was cold and um, very um, nasty little bungalow. And that's all I could afford. Right. Did you have any contact with your family? Um, only when my um, father died, I I came back to the family then for a little while, but I was basically only there. I very rarely spoke to him, yeah, very rarely spoke to him. I didn't have a telephone for a start, so I couldn't ring him. Yeah, and you couldn't be contacted. No, <laughs> didn't, didn't want to be contacted. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, um, so back to you, Simon. Um, so you've got out of the TAB... Um, so did they charge you or what, what was the... No, um, as, I, as it says in the yellow book in, in the fellowship, um, bailouts are detrimental to our recovery. Well, yeah. fortunately or unfortunately for me, I had a father that uh, was quite powerful and um, he could, uh, through his networks and contacts, time and time again get me out of the pickles. Okay. So I wasn't charged. It was swept under the carpet. I said all the right things. I promised to um, my family, to myself, rah, 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 that I wouldn't gamble again. And, but you know, maybe a week later I was in the clear and back I went to the punt. Yep. Okay. Um, so did your dad disown you after that or...? Well, look, when I finally sat down um, and was caught with my dad for the incident at the TAB, we sat down and he was actually really good... Um, and, you know, he said, look, I didn't realise you had this problem and we'll get you some help, um, which was just really heartwarming. Um, at that very same day, he just received a credit card statement, uh, which I had blown his credit card and maxed it out while he'd been on holidays for six weeks um, overseas. And, you know, I racked up a very, very large bill. And, you know, his, his care and compassion turned to rage. And I, I remember him looking at the bill scrunching it up, standing up, throwing it in my face and um, cursing at me and storming out of the room. And all that happened on one day. So, Wow. Yeah, it's a day I'll never forget. Yes, I'm sure. So did that have any impact on you? Look, um, my will to gamble um, and numb all the pain that I'd gone through in my life um, was stronger than um, any emotions or... Uh, around my family or anything mm. like that. Uh, when I was 20, my mother packed up her bags one day and took off overseas, um, turned her phone off. Uh, I was left alone at home uh, with my father, who I didn't have a real relationship with up until then. Um, and instead of grieving and going through that pain, I gambled. And I, I uh, continued to punish myself uh, through gambling and numb all the feelings I had around that, and it just kept growing. Um, so any time I stopped to pause and not gamble, I couldn't handle what was surfacing um, in the pit of my stomach. So I had to gamble 
just to uh, continue living. Yeah. So each job you got, each time you got more money, it was more money for gambling? Correct. Yeah. Correct. I couldn't bear not gambling. So, you know, as Ian mentioned earlier, I reckon I was paid uh, all through my 20s on a fortnight. Um, you know, on every uh, every fortnight on a Thursday night, I was paid. By Friday, I was out of money. I'd blown it all. And then it, um, any means necessary to find a dollar uh, to gamble. And that was the cycle of my life. Uh, beg, borrow or steal. Um, I had to do that to um, put up the charade as a happy go lucky boyfriend friend um sports lover um businessman but um i was a broken person that just needed to gamble and that, yeah. that that's all that consumed my mind 24 7 yeah so what's it like at night when you realize that you've got a problem and it's not going to resolve itself look the last five years of my life the the nights and the sleep deprivation uh, was probably my worst defect because when I put my head on the pillow at night, uh, I couldn't escape um, the reality that was my gambling. Um, so it'd start when I drove home from work. I'd have to pull over on the freeway and I'd hyperventilate for five minutes at a time. Uh, I'd get home, I'd have dinner. My girlfriend, we'd either stay at my place or her parents' place. I'd go to bed early most nights and pretend to be asleep. Uh, once everyone else was asleep, I would wake up. I'd be pacing, holding my chest, um, trying not to, trying to breathe. Uh, I constantly felt like I was having a heart, a heart attack, and I'd, I reckon I lived the last three or four years of my gambling with two to three hours of sleep a night. That's how I functioned, and it was, it was like hell on repeat yeah. every single day. Okay, it doesn't sound very good to me. So what about you, Ian? Did you have similar sorts of problems trying to reconcile your day life with your, you know, when you're alone? Uh, sleeping was um, sleeping was a major problem. Um, I didn't sleep, and uh, also on top of that, um, I get I gambled for such long periods that um, I would only sleep three or four hours. I'd still be gambling at twelve o'clock at night if I could. Yeah. Um, if I could find somewhere to gamble, um, especially in Queensland, if I could find somewhere to gamble late at night, I would gamble till I would be first there, last to leave. And uh, that was the way I lived. So I would probably only, and I was drinking too, so I would probably only sleep two or three hours, three or four hours, and then I'd be back up working. And I I had to work long hours to... to um, Keep my gambling going. That was that was the whole thing. The thing was to to get as much work so I could gamble. Okay, right. On. Listen, we might take another break. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking with Ian and Simon about gambling addiction and how Gamblers Anonymous has helped them. Um, so I think we'll probably go to the point where you found uh, Gamblers Anonymous. So, um, Ian, start with you. So, how did you hear about GA? Oh, this is a this is a little bit of a funny story. I um, in the TAB, I saw a sign up saying, "If you need help, ring this number." And I was in a bit of trouble at the time, and um, so I took the number home and put it on the fridge. 
and never did anything about it. Yep, as you do. As you do. Um, But I had some very close friends who I went to school with who stuck with me and they were very worried about me and they eventually got me to go to a meeting at uh, Box Hill and uh, that's where I started. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be there. And I made three attempts before I actually walked in the door. So if if I had a chance to gamble before that meeting, I would have been not gone in, and I did that on three occasions. And that was in 1996. Um... The feeling of going into the meeting was, of, of uh, for me, it was a fear. I had fear. I just didn't know what it was about, and I, I knew I had to do something. But I just, I, what am I doing here? You know, why am I in this place? And um, they were the people. The people at there was a twenty six, twenty seven people at the meeting, and they welcomed me and. Um, they made me feel welcome. I still, it was all a blur. I can't remember much about that first meeting. But I can remember one person saying to me, go to another meeting. So I did. And I went on the Monday to Box Hill and then on the Wednesday I went to the Mitcham meeting. And that was the hardest thing I'd done to go to that second meeting. The first meeting was adrenaline. The second meeting was reality. It was a real. Uh, 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 what am I doing here? And I was walking down towards it, and I started to walk away. And this bloke came out, and guy came out and said, "You look like you needed it. Need it, mate. Come in." So I went in, mm. and I've been going in ever since. Right. How long's that? Twenty-one years. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I've been twenty-one years absent. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, what sort of condition were you in when you got to GA? I was. Uh, I look back at it now, and I would say I was close to being a derelict. Um, I was. I was one step off the streets. I'd attempted suicide. Um, my health was failing. I was asthmatic, and my health was failing. I had a lot of physical things wrong with me mentally. I was. Um, uh, in a lot of difficulty. I um, The only thing that I was capable of doing at that time was working and, and, and work was the only thing that held me together because I was working overtime and I was working to gamble. Right, OK. Yeah. So what was it like to stop gambling? Was that easy? Um, hardest thing I ever did in my life. The abstinence, there's two parts of it for me, abstinence and recovery. Um, I just kept going and I got 30 days up without gambling for the first time in my life and they gave me a badge. Right, yeah. And I was so so excited and then I got 60 days up and they gave me another badge and then 90 days they gave me another badge and I could not believe that I wasn't gambling. I was having nightmares about it. I was waking up in the middle of the night. I was... um, I had periods of real struggle, but I had the fellowship. I actually, people were saying to me, "If you're struggling, ring ring somebody." So I got a I got a telephone, and that was a big help. 
um, because then I could ring people. Up until then, I didn't have a telephone in my bungalow, and I got a telephone with the money that I that I wasn't gambling with, and I was ringing people when I when I felt as though I wanted to gamble, and I was ringing people at one o'clock at night and half past eleven and all this sort of thing, and they were helping me and talking me through it, and and then sometimes taking me for coffee and and. Uh, it was fantastic. I'd never, I'd never experienced anything like it before. The the actual fellowship, the fellowship of Gamblers Anonymous. It was the help that I got. Um, I didn't have a car, and they were picking me up for meetings and taking me home. And um, don't walk in the rain, Ian. We'll take you home. Yeah. And all this sort of thing. And I'd never experienced that kindness ever before. And um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, did that mean that you were able to get back into life? Slowly. Yeah. Slowly. I. I. Um, very slowly. Um, it went for me from. Um, I went to uh, Gamblers Anonymous have a national conference in a different state each year, and I went to my first national conference here in Melbourne, and that changed my life. I had a. After the conference, I had a nervous breakdown, and because I realised I was only absolute, I wasn't doing any recovery, and then the real work started, the 12-step recovery program, which I try and do on a daily basis, and uh, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I, uh, gambling was easy. Gambling and drinking was easy for me. Taking responsibility and doing the recovery programs being the most difficult and the most rewarding thing of my life. Thank you. Yeah, um, Simon. Um, so after your your dad bailed you out, did you change? Or um, did things just keep keep on. So, yeah. Look, the beginning of the end for me was in two thousand and twelve. I uh, for the first time I came clean to my wife who was my girlfriend at the time and said I had a gambling problem and um, using willpower alone I quit gambling for about two to three months uh, which was great I um, got fit and healthy and um, I went down to to lawn on a footy trip uh, in March of 2012 and on the way down there I stopped for dinner in Anglesey and I had a bet and uh, I won and over that weekend, I won more money than I'd ever won uh, in my life. So I was back on the punt and I decided to become a professional punter uh, without telling my wife and my uh, family. Uh, that money quickly disappeared and a lot more that I didn't have. Um, everyone started to um, question whether or not I was back to gambling and I was lying um, till... July 2012 where there was no more lies to tell I was in the deepest hole that I'd ever been been in and I um, I remember a few days before my first meeting my wife who, who was my girlfriend at the time uh, sat me in the car out the front of my parents house and she said to me if you keep gambling I'm leaving you and she was serious about it um, a bit hard talking about it now without getting emotional but I really think that was a wake-up call that I needed uh, and it, it has turned out to be that case. Uh, the following Monday I was checked into rehab because my family, no one knew what to do with me and 
on my second day in that rehab, uh, I was asked to go to a meeting and I said to them, look, I don't even know what a meeting is. Like, do I have to go? And the guys basically yelled at me using expletives like, how special do you think you are, mate? So off I went to the Mitchum meeting on a Tuesday night, um, scared, scared out of my brain, you know. I was so terrified and I got to the door and Ian is actually the person that greeted me at that first meeting and he terrified me even more. And, you know, going into that meeting on that first night uh, was the first time that I actually found some hope um, that I could stop gambling because I'd wanted to stop for the five years prior to that. I just didn't know how, you know, I wanted it all. I wanted it all to end without me taking my own life. And after that first meeting, I just, I found I was in a room of my people, you know, people that had my story, um, same sort of experiences and that had time up, you know, I looked at people like Ian and they had 15 years up uh, at that time. And I looked at other people that had 90 days up and that was just incredible. And, you know, I was someone that gambled every single day and, you know, slowly but surely one day at a time, I stopped gambling and, and uh, entered the fellowship. Yeah. So what's rehab like for gamblers? Look, it it was strange. Um, I guess the best part about it was having time out of my life, you know, being, you, could, you could sleep. That's right. No, just being separated from the current um, disastrous routine that I was in. Mm. But look, the the at the time, the facility I was in was all uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. So there was uh, a lot of people spoke about NA and AA. Um, but what I noticed is that we all shared the similar emotional problems. So we gambled, drank, used drugs. And I, real, I realized and learned it was an emotional mm. They're emotional illnesses. So we're all similar, yet our stories and our substance was different. Yeah. Okay. Um, so coming into meetings then, so what what sort of things you know, helped you get into GA and to you know, resolve your addiction to gambling? Yeah. Well, look, when I walked into the rooms, I was broken. I was 27 years old. I was emotionally and spiritually broken as a person and I've I basically crawled into those rooms um, and with my arms out and the fellowship took me in. Uh, men and women in several meetings that I went to took me in. Uh, I reckon my first year I cried every single meeting. My first year and year and a half I bared my soul and slowly stripped away my story and talked about things like my mum leaving and 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 issues throughout my life and... Um, and I basically put all my energy, adrenaline, time into GA. And I have so ever since. And, you know, Ian talked about um, abstinence and recovery. Um, you know, I, I'm somebody that has tried and got involved with every part of the fellowship and the program. And that's what works for me, you know. Yep. Uh, nowadays, it's been six years since I've had my last bet. And the way I work my recovery is service you know ian talked about the national conference before i'm going to my next national conference uh in a few weeks up in caloundra and something i heard at last year's national conference was um a member shared that if i don't share my recovery i can't keep it and that's something um that i that's kind of my motto today you know everything i've I, i learn in this fellowship i try to pass it on and um that's how you know a day at a time i i i 
I live the program to the best of my ability. I try to, and and uh, I, I've been reborn. Yeah. So, what's your life like now that you're not gambling? No, oh, it's just every day I'm grateful. You know, I, I wake up in a day every day. I talk to my high power. I have friends in the fellowship. I'm married. Uh, I have my own business. I've recently had a son, and um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm somebody that used to run out of petrol once a week and would have to you know, <laughs> walk a long way home. Right, okay. So, chalk and cheese for me. Yep, okay. Um, now, one of the other things that uh, I know that you two are involved in is uh, prison visits. So, Ian, do you want to just talk about what that what you do? Yeah, well, the prison visits, uh, we have a prison, prison liaison officer and when um, somebody contacts the prison and says that I need a meeting or I'm, I'm, I've got a gambling problem, I'm here because of a gambling problem, um, they then contact our prison liaison officer and we arrange to have a normal Gamblers Anonymous meeting in the, in the prison. The, the only difference is that we get to go home. Yeah, right. Um, which is good. Yeah, which is good. <laughs> and I've I've done quite a few of these over the years, and uh, they are, without doubt, the most emotional, fantastic meetings because these people are trying to make a change in their lives, and and it's a chance for us to tell their, tell the story, our story, to help them and. Um, I get a lot out of it. I've been to um, men's prisons and and women's prisons, and um, both of them, both those prisons have uh, been very um, uplifting. and And it's also not just about that. It is also about when the person leaves prison, we are there to get them to meetings, and to help them start their life again. And that we always try and find a meeting that is close to where they have their accommodation, if it's possible, and um, then we, we put out the hand of fellowship and support to them. So I find it very, very good. Okay. Um, so do other prisons go as well? What? Other prisons? So that person who contacted... Oh, uh, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we have... Um, Maybe four, five, ten. I've been at I've been at a prison where there's been eight or ten people at it. Okay. And they usually have it in the prison chapel, um, and that's uh, yes. So it's good, and they get an they get an opportunity to find out about our literature and what how we operate outside because a lot of them, which is natural, of course, a lot of them have fear of what it's going to be like when they come out. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes. Okay. Um, and the other thing I was going to ask you about, you know, you've been in Gamblers Anonymous for 20 years or more. Um, so how's, how, have, how have the gamblers changed over that time? Uh, oh, it's, it's chalk and cheese to what it was. When I came into GA in uh, 96, it was mainly men. There were some women, but mainly men. Um, and the gambling was either poker machines or or race horses and um, greyhounds and such. But today, with the online gambling and the online poker and the online gambling has become huge, 
it, it's so much. It's so different the amount of people that are young people between the age of twenty and forty who are getting caught with the online gambling because it is so easy to gamble. Um, in my day, when back in the sixties and seventies, I had to walk to a TAB. These days, you can sit at home in your bedroom, in yeah. your bedroom, yeah. and gamble gamble forever and uh, it's um, it's mind boggling uh, how much damage these young people were doing yeah I'm sure okay um, well listen if um, if you're out there and you'd like to know more about Gamblers Anonymous um, and how they could help you then you can phone them on 03 9696 6108 or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au uh, it's about time to finish up now so um i'd like to thank ian and simon for coming in today and sharing their gamblers anonymous recovery experience with us thank you thank you very much bill Uh, i hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from compulsive drinking and we'll be joined by a couple of members of alcoholics anonymous uh stay tuned now for black noise radio hosted by kerry lee and featuring black news and views current affairs music sport culture and the arts all from an aboriginal woman's perspective Thanks for listening to Living Free program today.